you listen to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad. And some time back, I had the pleasure of sitting down and having a chat with James Morrissey. And James was a former classmate of mine in high school and had a wonderful book, The Bee's Knees, as he developed and has a lifelong interest and passion for bees. But James also has a lifelong interest and a passion for music. And not that he's necessarily a tin whistler or a, a fiddler, but uh, from music has so many different layers. And when we chatted briefly before, we mentioned Clatter Records, and James said that there were things in the pipeline back then with Clatter Records. James, thanks a million for coming back. It's an absolute pre- pleasure, Austin. Delighted to be with, with you. So since we chatted last, uh, Clatter has some of the things that were in the pipeline have come to fruition. Do you want to give us a, an overview of what's happened? Yes, Clatter Records was set up in, in 1959 by Garrett Brown, who was a member of the Guinness family. And he set the company up with Ivor Brown, uh, the medic, no relation of his, uh, to record Irish artists who they felt were being largely ignored by the international record companies. Now, Garrett Brown grew up in Claremorris, not too far down the road from my hometown of Kilchimah. And when I was in university, I started working with to earn some pocket money with, with Spotlight magazine. And it was then that I encountered uh, Garrett Brown. That would have been in the 1970s, after I finished in Garbally with you. And uh, we, I spoke to Garrett Brown, interviewed him many times. And at that stage, Clada had quite a number of successful albums under its belt. Uh, the first was uh, Leo Rosen, The Piper. The second was Patrick Kavanagh, Reading His Own Poetry. And the third or fourth, I can't remember which, was the very first Chieftains album. And the first Chieftains album was uh, a huge success, and there followed six Chieftains albums. And next year, the Chieftains will be 60 years in business and, um, and a worldwide success. When Garrett Brown died, I, I was working on a book about his life and Clada, and he asked me would I get involved in the company, and I said I would in principle, but nothing was concluded. Uh, but after his death, the trustees uh, of his will uh, approached me and asked me would I be interested in getting involved. So uh, I got involved. Uh, it's kind of more a hobby, really, than, than a business, but it's, a, but it's an interesting business. Uh, the company has been in decline for many years, but in the vaults of the Bank of Ireland, there are 40 boxes of old tapes of the Chieftains, of Tommy Potts, uh, Seamus Ennis, uh, Willie Clancy, Patrick Kavanagh. So we have negotiated a licensing agreement with Universal Music, who are the biggest music company in the world, and we are the smallest music company in the world. So smallest meets biggest, and they've agreed to undertake uh, a licensing agreement, which will mean that we will re-release old material. The first new old album will be released in April, and it's Beauty on Elan, the music of the Blasket Islands, uh, with recordings dating back to the 1950s, which were released on an album by Clada in 1992. We're going to re-release that, but we are also going to include some new old music by the descendants 
of the original hab- inhabitants of the Blaskets, where music has been passed down from generation to generation. That's the first album. Second album will be in the autumn. This year is the 60th, sorry, the 50th anniversary of the death of Sean O'Reilly. And we are going to re-release a compilation album. And we're hoping that RTE will screen a film that was made of Sean O'Reilly in the 1980s with Barry McGovern as playing O'Reilly, but never screened. It's 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 a little gem. It really is. So that's that. And then uh, we all remember, and you'll remember, soundings in uh, in school where we learned poetry from that wonderful book edited by uh, Gus Martin, which included, of course, some wonderful gems by Patrick Kavanagh. And Patrick Kavanagh in the 1960s was making his way around Baggett Street and the hostelries of Grafton Street and Ann Street and Duke Street and all these places and he met Garrett Brown one day and he said I want to record with Clatter Records and Garrett Brown said sure uh, and Patrick said he wanted money for it and Garrett said sure and uh, Paddy said well can I have the money now and Garrett said I don't think that's possible but you probably would need to sign a contract first well he says I'll Patrick Cameron said, I'll sign any bloody piece of paper. Let's get this done. So Garrett phoned up his solicitor, James Cawley, in his office down in Western Draw and said, come up here to this pub immediately and bring a draft contract with you. And there and then was signed the contract between Garrett and Patrick Kavanagh. Paddy Kavanagh got £50 for his work. Garrett decided that he wanted Patrick Kavanagh to read his own poetry but the literati of Dublin and, more, and also Actors' Equity in Dublin said, it's crazy getting a poet to record his own music or his own poetry. This should be done by trained actors. And Garrett Brown said, no, I want Patrick Kavanagh to record his own poems. And that's the only recording that exists of Patrick Kavanagh reading his own poetry. It was released in the 1960s. We're going to re-release it, but we're also going to invite 10 different well-known people to read their own favourite Patrick Kavanagh poem as part of a new compilation. So Fantastic. Fantastic. It's amazing how um, serendipitous in life is. Um, my first house in Dublin, my neighbour was Barry McGovern. Was this is back in the 70s now. Wow. Married, and he was married to a lady from Kilchamar. Uh, Anita Reeves was with him at that stage. Oh, okay, who died about three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah. And Barry used to come in after obviously being on the stage and he'd start playing the piano in the early hours of the morning. And the walls and the um, houses in on the down in Dundrum were not overly well sound insulated. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Barry, Barry was my next door neighbour for a period. But I'm sure he, had, he would have no recollection of that. He'd break- I talked to, I talked to him quite frequently because right. he also, for RTE, he recorded a box set of uh, Beckett works. Right. And we're going to. There are some several box sets remaining from about 20 years ago. So we're going to put them on offer uh, as part of a Beckett revival at some stage. James, what strikes me about what you just told me is that, like your Cladder Records is a niche and always was to some degree a niche offering and Universal Music, the largest company in the world and in the music industry. And you say the smallest meets the largest. The commercial value 
to a company like Universal who would make their decisions to many degrees on how commercial a product is. What, what brought them to the table? Well, it's, it's small beer to them in the overall scheme of things. But over in recent years, they have been acquiring the rights to a lot of music. Now, our arrangement is purely licensing. They don't acquire rights to the music. If they want to make an approach and want to progress to that at some stage, that's an option. Um, I, I think they want to be seen as a company that drills down into the heritage of music of all kinds. I mean, a year ago, two years ago, they, they funded uh, the film Hitsville, USA, which is they funded it. And it's a wonderful documentary on the history of Motown music. So they're doing a lot of these projects and it would appear to be gathering momentum for them because a lot of new artists are more willing to sign with them if they have a history and a heritage that is not just all about money. And the cost of their association with us is minimal in the overall scheme of things. But they are moving into uh, the Irish music sector. They have Hosier on their label. They have recently acquired all the rights to Christy Moore's music. Um, So uh, there's a lot going on. And there is a view increasingly, even though our generation think it's dying, that that there are a lot of young people interested in traditional music uh, of all genres. Uh, I I was talking to somebody from the Irish Arts Centre in New York there last week, and they were saying that the number of folk clubs springing up in places like Brooklyn and the Bronx and Queens and a lot of it is Irish music. So I think Universal were also swayed by the fact that here was something that in a loose way had connections with the rock world, mm-hmm. the pop world. I mean, Garrett Brown's brother Tara, who was who was killed in the car crash in his uh, when he was 21. Uh, the Beatles wrote the song "A Day in the Life" about about Tara. Um, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones were at Tara's 21st birthday. They had a lot of connections. The Visitors Book, for example, where Garrett lived in Lugalaw, has all sorts of right. people in it. So, James, then, given the way music has gone over the last number of years, particularly through the streaming services, by licensing music uh, in this fashion, does it give Universal a foot toehold in the marketplace that potentially allows them to uh, remain relevant where you have Spotify, you have Apple, you have Google, all these major streaming players? Very much so. And they would say that they look at this from, from a kind of a, a completely inclusive approach that they're interested in the music from a streaming point of view. Vinyl sales in Ireland were up 40% in 2020. Um, they're interested in the interest that can be generated by television documentaries by articles in newspapers, by interviews. So it's the, it's, it's the totality of it. One of the things we hope to do with CLAD, I've been in touch with Dundalk School of Music, which is a very vibrant third level. Uh, and we're keen to 
see if there's collaboration with some of the younger students there uh, who are interested in playing the instruments that would have been part of uh, the traditional Irish music heritage. Not so many learning the pipes, but certainly people playing the violin um, and, 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 and other into the harp and other instruments. There's, I don't know if you're aware of the great, great haunting tune, Port Nabuki, the music of the fairies from the Blasket mm-hmm. Islands. We're pushing out the, the boundaries here and we're asking Dundalk, have they two or three musicians who actually might come together and put together an actual production, an entire production based on the music of the fairies and the blaskets, which was also, everyone thought it was fairy music, and maybe it was, but they're now saying that for 20 or 30 years, they're saying that the music that came to a lot of the fishermen on the blaskets was the music of the whales, music of the whales making sounds beneath canvas of the corrocks that they could pick up and hear the kind of the wailing music mm-hmm. and that that, is, that that actually goes back to the blaskets so universal are interested in playing a role and making a contribution to the ethnicity of a lot of uh, music forms James you mentioned that there's 40 boxes in the vaults of the Bank of Ireland <coughs> and uh, from the early period when uh, Clada would have been formed in the, the 50s. So I take it these would be big reel tapes, some of them. Um, They're big reel tapes. That will require some um, remastering and some modern day cleaning up. Yes. Uh, there's, it's, 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 a, it's an absolute treasure trove. What's going to happen in the boxes is that they will, they will be sent over to Abbey Road Studios in London Mm-hmm. Uh, Universal own Abbey Road and they're going to be assessed one of the things we've come across when the box we came across is a box of recordings made in Seoul in Korea in the mid 1970s of a traditional Korean musician who went on to become I, I won't dare pronounce his name uh, who went on to become the most famous Korean music in the in the traditional form. He died three years ago, and we've been in touch with his family because we found a box of recordings that were never released. Wow. We have the Chieftains, we have Seamus Heaney, Liam O'Flynn, uh, Tommy Potts, uh, Leo Rosen, uh, Derek Bell. So do you have other stuff that has never been released because this is always the wonder when you go into a treasure trove <clears throat> that uh, are there any unreleased Irish products in there? We don't we don't know. We suspect there are because we have a <clears throat> lot of on the lot of the boxes we have intro tapes, outro tapes. So I presume they were edited down. Uh I mean for example we have a recording somewhere and I don't think it's been identified yet of Sean O'Rea, the recording in London with the London Philharmonic Orchestra and some of the outtakes are of O'Rea the playing jazz during one of the warm-up sessions. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if it's any more than two or three minutes. I was talking to Padre O'Rea about it. He was aware of its existence. So I don't, we don't, we simply don't know, but there are definitely recordings that have never been released. And there's a famous recording 
the poet Sidney Graham recorded with uh, Claga. Garrett was very interested in uh, Scottish poets as well and recorded some of them. But Sidney Graham fell between the cracks. And for seven years after the recording was made, for some reason, the recordings were never released. And there are, there are plaintive letters from Graham to Garrett Brown saying, please, please, don't continue this torture anymore. When is it going to be released? And it was just one of those things. And it was up until Garrett's death, it was one of the great regrets that he never got to release it. But we're going to release that album. So you mentioned the Chieftains. You mentioned Christy Moore. Um, Over, I guess, what's going to happen is that there will be a planned release schedule over a number of years of items as you get to catalogue and um, clean them up and and anniversaries occur. Exactly. And you're absolutely right. As anniversaries come up, that will be a key element. There was a famous Irish composer... A very, he led a very sad and tragic life. He was, he was basically tone deaf. His name was Freddie May, mm-hmm. uh, a legendary composer. Uh, a lot of the experts would say one of the finest composers we ever uh, produced in this country. Learned his music on the continent, came back to Ireland, worked with RTE, uh, had uh, acute mental issues, spent a lot of time in Portran, uh, mental hospital. Garrett Brown used send a taxi to take him out and to take him for a meal. And Clatter recorded Freddie May's quartet in C minor. One of Garrett's last wishes was that that album would be re-released. We've re-released it. It's of limited interest too because it's 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 very high classical. But Freddie May left money in his will in the 1970s, for the quartet to be written in art form by musical students. It never happened, but we've just completed it, finally, with students from the college in, in Dundalk. So uh, and we're, we're, we'll, we'll release some more material for Freddie May to coincide with that. So there's, there's an awful lot of unfinished business, uh, as well as new business to be done, uh, but, uh, you know, whatever, 50 years after a man leaves money in his will, <laughs> you get around to fulfilling his, his wishes. But anyway, never too late, I suppose. So when will the first, when's the first major release scheduled for? Uh, Easter will be Beauty on Ilan, the music <clears throat> of the Blasket Island. And uh, we hope to, uh, COVID obviously is impacting on all of this. But what we're planning on doing is... Uh, getting some film footage out on the Great Blasket of the new young musicians who have been recorded for this, and we'll do some video footage, and uh, we will launch it in both Dingle uh, and Dublin. And as somebody in Kerry said, ah, you'll have a much better time when you launch it in Dingle than you will in Dublin. We know how to do things right down here. Of course, as you mentioned, the challenge is going to be COVID. And, it is, uh, it is. Yeah. But we can do things with video streaming as long as we have the product and the product is out there and we have some video footage. And, uh, you know, RTE are very, very supportive of these projects um, and they're very keen to give give vent to them. They see see them as being an important part of our of, of our culture and our heritage. 
Uh, and that's that too is that too is encouraging. So James, I'm going to switch gears briefly because um, we've been talking. Clada will come back. At, are you working on any other projects at the moment? Uh, you're not writing any more books or anything. And I'm working on a book on Clada. That's a book that the archive of Clada includes tapes, but also letters, contracts, rows, disputes. <laughs> Yes. People sending solicitors letters for money that are owed. The minute books of the board meetings. Garrett Brown was, <clears throat> I always say that only somebody with nothing to do, access to a lot of money and a passion could have set up something like Cladder Records. And Garrett appointed several people to the board. Now, directors of Cladder came and went almost with the seasons. And uh, he would have appointed mainly people who would have been of an artistic uh, ability. But there wouldn't always be harmony at board meetings. And you could have a degree of disagreement and disharmony. But Garrett became quite skilled at dealing with matters like that. Whenever he wanted to propose something where he knew maybe that a particular director would oppose it at a board meeting, and may lobby for the support of another director where Garrett would lose the vote, he would send out a notice for the board meeting for next Monday at 10 o'clock in the morning, and all the directors would get that notice on a Friday in the post, uh, except the director who he felt wouldn't be too supportive of his project and he would send the letter to that particular individual on a Sunday. And, of course, the letter wouldn't arrive until Tuesday, by which the board meeting would have taken place and the decision would have been taken. It was it was Irish solution to Irish problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, if anyone's looking for information, I know Tladder would have had a website. Will all that remain? Or, um, the, the, what would have been the PR side of it? Yes, the the website is down at the moment for one reason and one reason only. Uh, we are rebuilding it. It's going to get a complete makeover. Traditionally, Clado would have sold music from the Clado label, but lots of other labels. Our new focus will be to focus more on Clado. That's not to say we will not feature other artists in the same idiom. Of course we will, uh, but it will be a much more vibrant website, and it, it, it's it has it will have two objectives one to promote material and to sell it secondly when we will release a new album we will provide on the website background to the making of the album background to the details of the people based on old letters photographs so we will tell the story of each and every album and over time we would hope then that Clada will become uh, a place where your listeners, people around the world will say, okay, I'm going to go into that website. I have no intention of buying anything. I don't want to buy anything, but I would like to learn a bit more about the Chieftains. I'd like to learn more about Seamus Ennis. I would like to learn more about Willie Clancy or whatever. That's, so the, and, it's, and we have designers working at the moment. I, I, I really hope it will be the definitive website for traditional Irish music uh, we're also talking to Gwail in about some collaboration. Uh, and then 
we have the shop in Cecilia Street in Temple Bar, which mm-hmm. has been closed for most of last year and it continues to be closed because of COVID. And we have gone through a lot of the stock, the, the stock that simply hasn't been selling. Uh, and we, the shop really does need a makeover and we will use this time to look at that makeover. We're, we are concerned about retail post COVID. Uh, increasingly more and more business is being done online. And that's not just the music business. It's, it's clothing, it's accessories of all kinds, it's electrical goods, it's whatever. So, uh, but the shop is there and we certainly will, we will, we're reorganizing it. We're putting in a new computer system. Uh, we're going to put it, we'll do a lot of branding. We may even use the shop, although it's very small, for very small gatherings or where some new young artists would come in and we would record them for for, for a video or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. James, it's been a pleasure catching up. It's been a fantastic hearing all what's going on and uh, looking forward to Easter when uh, <clears throat> you get around to that launch. <clears throat> well, thank you very much, Austin, and it's always great to talk to you. And, I, you know, what you're doing uh, and the platform you have and the contribution you're making to Irish music uh, and heritage uh, across so many areas is a, wonder, is a wonderful contribution. And the one thing I think we're all finding in the world today is that communication, be it on a macro level or a micro level, is really important to our, to our mental sanity and to, to our engaging with each other uh, and to talking to each other and uh, maybe before it was somewhat of a luxury but it's now actually a necessity that people engage and talk and whatever and you know if you have any feedback from any of your listeners in relation to uh, what CLAD is about and would just like to find out more um, I mean I'd be delighted to if you wanted to pass on details as to what, what, what our plans are. But one of the things we would like to do is build up a fairly substantial uh, base of of people who who visit the website so that we can engage with them and again it's not all about selling product it's about informing and letting people know and we're not we're not we're not we're not precious to the extent that it's only cladded this is about traditional irish music but we can do more with what we have ourselves because we've probably more control of it but that's not to the exclusion of anybody else on any other label it's like in a way, James. I was I spent many years <clears throat> in the business to business sector, and I would always say um, I never sold anything, but people bought things from me. Absolutely, and, and absolutely. There's a difference. It's when you when you offer information, when you offer a quality uh, base of something, people want some of what you have rather than you trying to push it on them. So right, and I think in in and you know there's a stage in life for all of us when we don't have to be living life in the fast lane, and you know we can move into the slower lane and we can delve into things that are hobbies for us, are interests for us, and they're not exclusive to us. It's not always based on some monetary reward. It's mm-hmm. not based on a financial target or goal being met. To be honest, I hope no one from Universal is listening to this, but we we really don't want to make much money out of of, of Clada. We really want to use Clada as a platform for us all to have some fun, enjoyment, and maybe 
can be enlightening and educational in some ways and entertaining for, for, for others. Uh, it's more, it's, this is about the fun of the journey as opposed to the destination. But James, as you know, if you build, they will come if, if it's, if it's a good building. Whereas well, if, if what you're doing is just out there to try and sell, oftentimes it, it loses its vibrancy. It loses its, uh, it has a shelf life. Whereas if what you're doing is building something like this, the shelf life is undefinable. Well, I would have no better assessor of whether we achieve that target or not than your good self. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah.